is Hey It's Science. In this episode, I will be discussing the volcanoes of the Pacific Northwest with Angela McGuire, who is a geologist at Whitman College in Walla Walla. Thank you so much for joining us, Angela. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Yeah, it's good to see you. I just wanted to touch on how you got interested in volcanology, which I understand is the study of volcanoes. Is that correct? That's right. <laughs> and uh, what research you've done in the past on volcanoes. Sure. Um, well, I actually, as a child, was not that interested in rocks. I was more, I did collect seashells and stuff at the beach, but I was not really a rock collector. And I wasn't even going to be a scientist, really, until I went to college and took my first geology class. Um, and that's really where I decided I wanted to do geology. And even then, I didn't know that I liked volcanoes. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a long circuitous route through classes in college that brought me to wanting to study um, not just volcanoes, but what's underneath volcanoes and, and specifically like what chemical elements make up the rocks was the most interesting to me. And so that's kind of how I got into looking at them. And so that you'd call that more like geochemistry. Okay. And I thought that that was really, really cool stuff and um, decided to go to grad school for it. And I did want to go somewhere where there were volcanoes because I'm from Virginia where there are not. <laughs> There's <laughs> they no are, volcanoes out there. There are no volcanoes. They are very much eroded, um, old volcanoes that have been mm -hmm. kind of mashed into the continent and really deformed since they were first, since they were erupting um, millions of years ago. So I was looking for a place that um, would have you know, new geology and active volcanoes, and that place was the Pacific Northwest. So that's, so I ended up in um, Bellingham at Western Washington University, and uh, that's where I did <coughs> research for my master's on um, one of the, kind of the old inside of a volcano. So I didn't actually study the currently active volcanoes like Mount Baker or Mount Rainier, but I studied more, um, older, deeper parts of the volcano that have since been exposed. And those were located in the North Cascades, but to the east of the currently active volcanoes. So, okay. Yeah. So uh, you didn't focus on newer volcanoes, but they are present in the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. uh, so what makes the, you were talking about the East Coast Mountains and how uh, there used to be volcanoes there. How how did we have volcanoes and they don't have volcanoes? What is the process that led to the volcanoes in yeah. the Pacific Northwest? That's a great question. Um, so it's basically just that the west side of the uh, United States is a lot newer. It's a newer part of the crust, of the Earth's crust. So if you can try to remember back to an Earth science class somewhere in your past, there's the core the mantle, and then the Earth's crust. Those are different layers. layers. Mm -hmm. And um, the crust is all different ages everywhere. And on the East Coast, where I grew up, it's, um, it's very old, very eroded. And um, things have just been there so long that they've kind of transformed from being active volcanoes into being hills and kind of very um, just they're not as tall. Mm -hmm. um, and so out on the West Coast, we have um, crust being added basically still. And the process 
that's creating what the volcanoes that we have is called subduction. Subduction? Subduction. Okay. And that is where um, a piece of the ocean crust is going under a piece of continental crust. So off to our west, there's a piece of oceanic crust that's denser than what we're sitting on here in Walla Walla. Mm -hmm. And so that causes it to be pushed basically underneath and go down into the mantle. Okay. And as it does that, um, there are there's minerals in the crust that have water in their formulas. So things like mica, which is the little shiny mineral that you often see in the silt and stuff around here. Mm -hmm. That mineral has water in its formula. And then when it goes down um, deep inside the earth, about 100 kilometers down, the pressure causes the, the water to be released. Oh. And it goes up into the mantle above it. And that causes melting in the mantle because adding water to the rock at that pressure uh, lowers the melting point. Of the of rock. rock. Mm -hmm. Does it lower the melting point of all rocks or just specific types of rocks? Um, I think it does, yeah. Um, but this is, this is a specific type of rock down in the mantle mm. called um, dunite. And it's usually... It's made of olivine and pyroxene minerals called olivine and pyroxene. Oh, okay. They're green, uh, usually, and you can see them sometimes exposed where um, pieces of the mantle have gotten pushed up somehow, and they're pretty cool rocks to look at. <laughs> but um, so anyway, so once you've got that melt down there in the mantle, um, it eventually kind of trickles its way upward, and um, and and causes more melting along the way and eventually erupts as a volcano. Okay. So it's a pretty, it's a complicated process and there are multiple ways to make volcanoes, but that's the kind that we have here. Okay. So the volcanoes here in the Pacific Northwest are say different than the ones found in Hawaii or? Yeah, absolutely. Other yep. places. Okay. Um, do you know how they're different? Like how the Hawaiian Islands? Yeah. Um, but volcanoes in Hawaii are called hotspot volcanoes, and they form by um, basically there's a there's a more a less dense. A lot of this has to do with density, as you can tell. Of Very the melted rock. Mm -hmm. um, well, density of of rock. So okay. for in the subduction case, it only happens when denser rock, um, you know, wants to go under less dense rock. Okay. And in this case, there's a what's called a plume of a more buoyant or less dense rock underneath hot spots that travels upward from somewhere either some people think down by the core some people just think you know somewhere in the mantle is where it's originating but this buoyant rock moves upward and just intersects the surface of the of the crust and then um, you get the chain of volcanoes in in Hawaii as mm. as plates are moving across that stable hot spot and so so that one is is definitely forming in a different way that's cool that you can get volcanoes from different geologic processes yeah well in the pacific northwest is really interesting because it actually does have 
or some people think that it has hotspot volcanism hmm. as well as subduction related volcanism. It just um, it's it's not the the hot spot at this point. Well, the the plate at this point has moved, so the hot spot is now over Yellowstone. So if you've heard about oh. the mega eruption or whatever that's going to happen, mm -hmm, the super volcano <laughs> <laughs> Yellowstone that's often you know in the papers and stuff, mm -hmm. um, that is what we think is is from a hot spot that used to exist here and is the reason why we have so much of the same rock type here, which is called basalt. Mm. And it's um, very, very voluminous and covers all of Walla Walla, goes out to the coast, actually follows the gorge, and mm. is um, not quite to Spokane, but from here north and east, it's just a big blob of basalt. Mm. And the theory is that um, the, pl the hot spot plume, the same one that shows up in Yellowstone, may have originated here. So when it first made contact with the crust and started erupting, um, it, it might have been right around the Blue Mountains. No kidding. Mm -hmm. And it moved all the way to Wyoming over time. Yes. Or the crust has moved the crust has west moved. then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, the crust has moved west. The crust, it, yes. Well, there's still debate about whether the hot spot is stable or whether the hot spots move, but generally mm. people kind of think of it as the hot spot stays still and the crust moves across it. Okay, that's pretty cool. What's the discerning difference between an active and inactive volcano? Is there like a line in the sand that you as a geologist will draw that says this volcano is no longer active? Yeah, um, well, they don't, I, they sort of, they don't really surprise you because <laughs> if we think that they're active, then they're closely monitored. Oh, okay. So, um, for instance, at Mount St. Helens, they take a lot of seismic measurements because the ground will start to shake if, if they think magma is moving underneath. Mm. And that's something that they've been doing for a long time. But now there's even more complex ways to monitor them. Like, um, I think you can kind of watch the swelling of the volcano with GPS. So um, they have enough. Yes, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> There's enough um, GPS, you know, satellites and stuff out there that they can watch for um, how, mu how much the crust might move outward if, if the volcano is getting ready to erupt. Hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of techniques now that can allow you to basically look underground like they do for the Yellowstone hotspot and try to look for blobs of magma because a because magma is liquidy mm -hmm. and everything else will be denser and solid. So if you look for that density difference, then you can kind of see the active chamber underneath. Because could that be done with like sonar or something like that, or do they actually send tools underground, like measurement tools They're underground? They are. Um, it's sim it's more similar to sonar. Okay. Yeah. Just kind of more like reflective. And yeah. how frequently, so you said that Mount St. Helens is tracked, um, at least with seismic monitoring. How often are they monitoring this? I think volcano? they're pretty much constantly, Constant. like they've got feeds on it all the time. So um, just like at, at Whitman, where I work, we've got a little seismic, we've got a little seismometer that sits out on LinkedIn Mountain Road. Hmm. And it's always running, so if you, you know, you all you have to do is go onto the computer and look at what the signal's doing to see. So, um, so is there a, 
a pretty accurate way of predicting whether or not these volcanoes are going to erupt, or is it just kind of um, monitoring until it actually happens? Like, you can't tell when a volcano is going to go off, or can you? Um, you can, so you can use those techniques, and the um, seismic signal will look a little bit different than it will for other things. Okay. So there's that. Um, and usually the volcanoes give off steam before they erupt. Mm. So um, if you're, you know, living near Mount Baker, for instance, where I was in grad school, if it gives off steam, people go and sample the steam and kind of um, analyze its chemistry. And I don't know very much about that and what what it tells you besides I think it's just interesting. They want to know what the, what the composition of the steam is. But... Mm -hmm. Um, but if you see it steaming, people, geologists run out there and they go look at it. Okay. <laughs> You'll just see a bunch of geologists crawling around. But that's, a, that's something that people watch for, for sure. Is, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, are there warning systems or public alerts in places like around Mount Baker or St. Helens telling you that these things are happening? There or should be. Is that public notice? Uh, I don't really think that. I don't know if there is. Um I think, yeah, I don't know. I know that there's an organization called Cascade Volcano Observatory who I, I'm i not sure how they're connected to the USGS, but I think that they work closely with them. Mm -hmm. And um, th it would probably be there. They'd be the first to know if something were going to erupt, and they would do whatever it is we do, but I don't know. I'm sure that there's evacuation um, plans, but I don't know how many people know about them or w if they would actually know what to do. Right, and it's such a rare occurrence that this actually happens. Right. That, um, even if plans were in place, it may not be yeah, something that people are in tune with. Yeah. <coughs> well, and one of the other um, big hazards that come with volcanoes, especially snowy ones around here, are something called lahars, which are um, these kind of, they're kind of like slurries of fast-moving, um, water-rich mudslides, basically, mm. that once when a volcano erupts, it's hot, and mm -hmm. there's there may be snow on top because they're also very tall, yeah. uh, much taller than everything around them usually. So they're snowy, and, that, and the heat from the eruption melts all the snow, and so all this water comes rushing down and makes the slope unstable and all this stuff, and so there's these huge... Um, that's a, that's the biggest probably risk for Seattle is is having a lahar um, just come rushing Rainier. off Rainier and into the yeah wow because it could melt potentially so much of the snow yes causing a huge <laughs> catastrophic mudslide mm -hmm. hmm. I guess pay attention to that Seattle <laughs> <laughs> they've got a lot of things to worry about geologically oh do they they do yes there's also a large fault running underneath Seattle and mm. it's on un unconsolidated sediment which will be more unstable if that fault ruptures and so you know it's not like breaking a rock in two it's like destabilizing a sand pit oh geez um could a, a seismic event like an earthquake um contribute to a volcanic event or vice versa? Uh, I don't know if any... That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if much more than 
there's um, there's seismic activity from the volcano, mm-hmm. but I don't know how often they'd happen together. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, just one at a time: earthquake <laughs> or volcano. Hopefully, yeah. Eruption for <laughs> Seattle. But uh, the Pacific Northwest also has another, yet another risk with um, the subduction zone. So when I was explaining that process of subduction where the dense crust goes underneath mm-hmm. lighter crust, um, it also creates the potential for a very large earthquake right along that zone, oh. which cu- runs um, all the way down the West Coast but turns into a... Um, transform fault in California, okay. the San Andreas. But uh, for, for Washington and Oregon, where the dense crust is going underneath, it's kind of pushing into the continental crust that we're sitting on, and it kind of buckles and creates this tension. And hmm. so it's kind of, it's going down, but it's also pushing into it. And so w- and that can create problems because at some point the it's too much and it has to be released. Okay. And when that kind of earthquake happens, it's usually a magnitude seven at least or eight. Oh, okay. It's um, they're called often called mega earthquakes, hmm. and um, so it could be really bad when we're due for one. Are we? <laughs> so there's a, a typical like time period like they usually happen every. So many hundred years. Yeah, they sort of. I mean, about three hundred years ago, they um, they think there's evidence for one, and I th- I think it's somewhat c- cyclical. So, hmm. so we are due for one. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. <laughs> uh, would the effects be felt as far as Pendleton and Walla Walla? Um, uh, I mean, it's a big earthquake. I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I've I haven't been asked that before. I haven't thought about it either. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. There's a su- there's definitely a tsunami situation uh-huh. for um, the coast because the Cascades are so close to the coast that if there was that event to happen, then yeah, it uh, yeah, I think we'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're good, everyone. But Seattle <laughs> just keeps getting burned. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, that's the. It's not volcanoes, but it's related. Mm. So you were telling us that you researched the old insides of volcanoes, so inactive volcanoes, I would Mm -hmm. assume, Um, so the deeper part of these volcanoes. So what's the difference then between um, maybe the geochemistry or some other something between an active volcano and these? Yeah, um, I was looking at... um, what were basically the guts of a volcano, and they actually never erupted. So, oh, okay. Even, even. Um, so it can be classified as a volcano, but never erupt. Yeah. So, uh, uh, well, it it did erupt, but it got the eruptive material got eroded away a long time ago. Oh, okay. Because these these were uh, from the Cretaceous, and they were seventy seven million year old rocks. Oh, wow. So, okay. um, the lava would come out on the surface, and our surface is very different than it looked 77 million years mm-hmm. ago. So things get r- really eroded, and um, and that's what happened with these, and that's why we were able to look at the inside because so much material had been removed, and mm-hmm. they'd also been kind of pushed upward by tectonic forces. It's hard to say what tectonic forces, but something pushed them upward mm-hmm. and eroded a bunch of material off the top. And so you can see the inside 
which um, is a is going to look a lot different than a lava. Okay. So it'll it'll be when a, when a, a lava comes out of a volcano, it's going to cool really fast because the air is very co- much cooler than what's inside the earth. Mm-hmm. So it's very uh, that makes small crystals stable. So really small minerals are what come from from the lava coming out of a, a lava. Okay. If they're cooling inside a volcano, they didn't erupt, just cooling underground somewhere. Mm-hmm. They're they have more time to kind of organize themselves and build their crystals, and so they they don't um, they're not as small. They can be big. Mm. So that's the the one way you tell. Okay, the larger minerals versus the smaller minerals. Mm-hmm. So what what did it take exactly to research these uh, old volcano insides? <laughs> like, did you have to crawl into a volcano, or is it just kind of Peripherally on the outside of the volcano, or so n- by now they've just been exposed at the surface. So you okay. didn't have to go. So the the it's actually if you can picture taking a volcano, slicing it in half, and tilting it, that's more what it looked like. So it by now it's been uplifted, tilted, and eroded, mm. so that it's all right there on the surface for us. Okay. So I just had to go walk out and there and get it and collect stuff. Um, which wasn't as easy as it sounds because it was in the middle of the North Cascades and I had to backpack in. It was only four miles, but it was a really steep four miles. (laughs) And it was (laughs) after taking the ferry up Lake Chelan. So I drove east over the mountain, took the ferry up Chelan, and then got off and hiked in Mm. and um, took a backpack of 40 40 rock samples each were like two pounds. Oh my gosh! So, um, for the listener, Angela is not a large person. <laughs> <laughs> She's yes. quite petite. I that's had, a chore. I had a helper, but um, there was one time where I fell over going down a hill, or maybe I was climbing over a log. But somehow I ended up on the ground with a bag of rocks, and I just couldn't get up. <laughs> You're like a turtle on a back. I was exactly like a turtle. Oh no. But um, things we do for science. Exactly, it was still really fun. Mm. <laughs> Highly recommended. Uh, are there? Do you have a favorite volcano? I am partial to Mount Baker because mm. I feel like it's going to erupt sometime soon. It gives off a lot of gas. Lots of steam. It yeah. sounds like. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there anything else you would like to mention about volcanoes? Uh, just that I, if you're listening to this, they are an excellent field of study <laughs> and, uh, we always need people who are really good at geochemistry and, um, it's really fascinating stuff. Excellent. Um, well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Volcanoes and we'll see you next time.